What's going on, everybody? My name is Tristan, and you're about to watch the Bethel Moments podcast. But before we get into this, make sure you subscribe, comment, and share. What's up, everybody? I'm so excited. We're now on episode 10 of the Bethel Moments podcast. This has been such a journey. And I'm just so grateful that you guys watch this and you've been sharing this with your friends and everything. Well, today we have an amazing man of God that honestly has been working with my family, but also around the nation and been working with Global Awakening as an intern in the past. And he has a ministry called Hearts Ignited Ministries. And man, he's a really a bold man of God. And his name is Timothy Barry. And uh, Timothy, will you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Well, Tristan, thanks so much for having me on here. It's a it's an honor. Um, so yeah, I um I got uh, just the privilege of um you know connecting with Randy Clark, his ministry's Global Awakening back in oh gosh, 2006. I went on a ministry trip with him to Brazil. I was 20 years old and life changing experience and seeing God do some miraculous things. Lots of people getting saved, set free. Um, and I actually. I quit college <laughs> because I had to go and figure out <laughs> what did I just experience? And so he had just started a ministry school. Um, and so I went up there for two years and had the privilege of traveling with him for about a year and a half, you know, many, many different countries and conferences and just getting to learn uh, underneath someone who has a lot of experience in, um, in ministry. Um, and so, so yeah, so my wife and I um, have our own travel ministry as well. Um, and we've traveled all around the world. We now have three uh, small kiddos. Um, our daughter, uh, Eden is eight years old. My son is four. His name's Judah. And then we have a two-year-old, Evan. And so we're based out of Bakersfield. And we came out here eight years ago to actually pioneer a, a ministry school of our own out of a local church here. And so I helped develop a four-year curriculum that was basically focused on how to help raise up leaders in ministry. And particularly when you have people coming from a variety of different backgrounds, let's you know say not, not churched at all, just barely saved or uh, more of a, a traditional you know, Baptist, uh, Presbyterian, Methodist, or, or even a Catholic background or Pentecostal charismatic. How do we all get along? How do we talk about Jesus? And how do we see what is true biblical um, Christianity? How do we actually live like Jesus? And so my whole focus was to help equip people specifically on how to do the ministry of Jesus. And so, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more today about some of the, those aspects, but you know, my heart in every process is I want people to encounter and experience the love of God. He's full of love and life, but also experiential knowledge is so much more helpful when we're having, you know, head knowledge of what that is, when we can feel and experience that it's both not either or, or. and so, um, so my prayer is, is anyone who's watching this or listening to this, that you would encounter the love of God today and that you would feel his presence and know that you're loved. And my prayers is also, if you have a need in your life today, man, that he'll meet that. And man, I just stand in agreement with that as well. Um, yeah, man. Um, I'm super excited to get into this word and, um, yeah, let's get into this. Excited. All right, man. Well, hey, um, so I'm going to be kind of sharing a little bit about my journey and discovery of the, the healing nature of God. It, it's a hard topic. Driss and I were talking right before we started the Zoom that whenever you talk about like physical healing, um, it, it doesn't happen every time. So uh, does God heal today? What does that look like? And you have, again, a lot of times a divide within Christianity where some absolutely believe in this. But also their methodology can be a little bit um, invasive and weird. <laughs> so it kind of is a push off from, from others experiencing that. Then others who have a genuine deep love for God and belief that he could just haven't been equipped 
scripturally and practically, how do we actually pray for the sick? So I won't go into all more of the practical side of things. I want to actually focus on scripture. What does the Bible have to say? And so if you're listening to this, my prayer and hope is, is if you can take your grid of God and what you've known about God, just put it to the side. I'm not asking you to believe what Timothy Berry believes, but let's actually look at scripture to see what it actually says. Then let's talk about that. Then how does that potentially maneuver how our traditions of, of background um, impact that? And so one of the things that is really important for me is that everything that Jesus did in his ministry and in his life is a model for us as human beings. And what happens a lot of times is we kind of look at Jesus and he's like, he's the son of God. And like, we can never measure up to him. Well, duh, <laughs> we can't. And he's perfect. We are not. With that being said, he's our older brother. And so when we talk about Jesus as healer, okay, in, in particular, obviously Jesus has a lot of different roles in our life. Jesus is our savior. Um, Jesus is our redeemer. He's our deliverer. He's our restorer, right? Um, he's also the king of kings and Lord of lords. So we're not worthy. It's <laughs> very clear. Like we're not worthy. We are lower than him. But when we actually look at places of scripture where he says we are seated with him, we are in him, do things through him. He, through his infinite love and grace, calls us to a higher place to be uh, not equal to him, but we're younger brothers and sisters. He's the older brother leading the way. We have access to do the same, same things that he did. So if we actually study Jesus, He's the model. What happened in his life? And so one of the most key points for me is what he experienced before he actually even preached the gospel. He had this encounter, and it's listed in all four gospel accounts. And so the ones I'm going to read here is from Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. He says, from that time, Jesus began to, to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what had happened right before that in um, in Matthew chapter three was he had been baptized by John the Baptist. And when he came up out of the water, it says the heavens were ripped open. The spirit of God came upon him like a dove. And it says a voice from heaven said, behold, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Three things that's really important. Number one, the basis for Jesus's ministry was out of sonship, relationship with God, the father. It didn't say, this is my beloved apostle, my prophet, my Messiah. This is my boy. This is my son. I love him. He's my, he's my guy. And we're going to do this thing as a kingdom family. Okay. So family is really important in this process too, because we're family too. We're sons and daughters. Okay. Number two says the spirit of God came upon him like a dove. Doesn't say the spirit ever left him. That's huge. <laughs> That's a huge process of understanding that Jesus had full rights, legal, legal rights as God himself to operate out of divine power. But it says he yielded himself, made himself lower than what he really was to actually model what it was like to be a human, not God, but human, completely dependent, number one, on relationship with the Father, number two, the person of the Holy Spirit, okay? Number three, it says the heavens were ripped open, doesn't say they ever closed. Now, dang, now we see that Jesus, when he starts to operate out of his ministry, he got, has got an advantage <laughs> that we have never experienced before in all of humanity. He has got an access point directly to not only like the father's voice, but the father himself, that spiritual realm or dimension that was, had been completely divided because of sin. Jesus, because he was perfect, had access to the kingdom of heaven, the person of the Holy Spirit, God, the father. Now let's go do the work. And what was that work? And that work was to go declare my father's world, the kingdom of heaven 
is now invading earth. It is coming to earth. It is being presented. And so in verse 23 and 24 of Matthew chapter four, it says this, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Now, if you read that in the Greek for the word every, it means every. <laughs> it means all sickness and disease, not just some like, you know, toenails that were a little bit, had a little bit of an owie on it or some tummy aches. We're talking about leprosy in that day. We're talking about blind eyes, deaf ears, lame walking. There is significant, they didn't have hospitals back then. There's some significant major issues that were going on there. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. Now, this is like phase one of his ministry. He's going out there proclaiming and teaching some amazing stuff, but he's also acting and doing things, demonstrating a couple of different things. Number one, this is what heaven's like, because when we actually fully get there, Tristan, there ain't no sickness and disease, right? It is pure, full love, life. Uh, grace, healing, hope. We don't need healing in heaven. We need healing now on this side of, of, of humanity because we have, are in a world that's full of sickness and pain and torment, right? And so number two, Jesus is revealing the nature of the father. And this is what we see in um, John 6, 63. He says, I only do what I see and hear my father doing in heaven. So if, if and this is one of the big questions, like people will say, well, how do you know it's God's will to heal today? Like, how can you know that that's scenario or uh, one of the things that when I grew up, I was not raised in a tradition that believed in physical healing. We believe that God could do anything, but it wasn't practice. It was like, if you had sickness or disease, it's kind of like God gave it to you for a reason. So let's think from a more practical standpoint. Um, like if God gave me cancer and then Jesus came and healed me of cancer, then he's undoing the will of the father. Why would Jesus go against what the father's doing? Can't do that, right? So if Jesus came to heal the sick, but God gave all those people, he's undoing that and they would be divided. So that's not possible. So what is the source of sickness and disease and pain? And that we know is sin. It's the, it's the byproduct of sin that came into the world, which from origin is it's from oppression. It's from the enemy, right? He brought the pain. He brought the torment. He brought the oppression. So part of what Jesus is doing is restoring humanity to what original creation design is, was to be us fully in the presence of God, made in his image, just like him. And it's a restoration process, okay? So Jesus as healer, it's important because if we don't know what Jesus is like, what he's doing and representing the Father, then we have a question mark when we have sickness, pain, and disease. What's God's will in that process? Okay. So one of the things that I love in, in just thinking about um, what Jesus did is um, that in Acts 10, 38, um, well, let's, do, let's do one more thing uh, before we do Acts 10. Luke chapter 4, okay, Um is another part of when Jesus, again, in his beginning of his earthly ministry, talking about the nature of the Holy Spirit. Um, he actually was teaching the synagogue and he was re actually referencing Isaiah 61 when he, when he quotes this. But in Luke 4, 18 through 19, um, uh, it says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So before we even get into more about healing, we need to understand it's not just demonstration, it's declaration. There's words coming out. So we have so much emphasis, I believe in Christianity, about teaching or preaching the word of God. Not saying we shouldn't do that. Like that is actually primary central to this process, but then to have time to actually do it, like talk about that. And Tristan, I'm sure you're, you're aware of this. We have a lot of teachings and sermons out there where we talk and teach and then, all right, have a good week, break. And it's like, well, let's actually do it. You know, let's have some time for some ministry and let the Lord do some things, right? So I've tried to model my life in ministry and teaching that I, I'll shorten my teachings up a little bit. So we give that whatever 15, 20, 30 minutes so to say, Holy Spirit, would you act upon what we're teaching around right now? Give him time and space to move. So he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Okay. So again, primary central to the ministry of Jesus was proclamation. It was uh, helping, I believe it was spiritual sight and actual sight, right? It was people who were blind spiritually and physically, but to preach good news to the poor, those were poor naturally and poor in spirit, right? And you see this in the Beatitudes. Jesus had such a compassionate heart for the outcasts of society, the poor, the widows, the orphans, right? They were rejects of society. So he really went out of his way to not just sit around the elite of the elite um, and showmanship. He, he would give it all. And you see, this is why he would allow thousands of people to come and sit with him and be with him. Um, just obviously modeling the nature of God, right? So healing, in my personal opinion, was yes, physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing, but it was healing of society. It was healing of the um, the divide between male and female, Jew and Greek, those socioeconomic issues that we still see pervasive in our world today. His desire was to bring healing to humanity at a much higher level than just physical healing. So that's a bigger concept, but just everything about Jesus is healing, wholeness, restoration. And Acts 10.38 really hits a, hit a point on this. And it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So again, I'm pointing back to his experience of Holy Spirit coming on him at the, at the Jordan River and his proclamation of Isaiah 61 is he's now leading the way. He is a prophetic promise of what was to come. And he said, it says he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. So when we think about sickness and disease and, and bondage, that's the work of the devil. Jesus came to undo the work of the devil and healing is essential and primary to the gospel message. It's central to it. So literally in the math, or excuse me, in the gospel of Mark, 65% of the context of all of the gospel is miracle stories. So why would God talk a lot about healing and doing it, and then say it's no longer for today. That doesn't make any rational sense. <laughs> and so it's a part of the deception of the enemy to say, it's God who gave you this because you have some type of hidden sin or you're a bad person. That's the manipulation, the lie that the enemy does is it makes us all focus on us like we're not worthy and we've done something wrong. And yeah, it's possible, Tristan, that there's a generational curse or there's something that we did wrong. But at the end of the day, the root cause is sin. And sin is originated from the devil, right? It's it's our human nature that has fallen into that trap once again. And Jesus is ultimately, as we see through the gospel message, he came and became a, a curse on the tree and to redeem us from that. And so one of the coolest parts about 
the healing nature of God is um, Isaiah 53. And that's what I kind of want to get into here a bit is that um, primary to the ministry of Jesus, ultimately what he's doing for three plus years, he's preaching the gospel. People are receiving him. They're believing in him as son of God. He's demonstrating that through miraculous signs, wonders, uh, demons are being cast out. Now he's equipping his disciples, right? So they're now starting to do this as well. And, and it's revivals breaking out, right? And of course we have these stories of Pharisees and Sadducees are kind of ticked off and they're jealous and they're like, Hey, he's doing this by the power of the devil. And then Jesus gives this example. It's like, that doesn't make any rational sense. Like if I, if the devil's in a person and I come in with the demonic power and, and then cast that demon out by demonic power, what, that doesn't make any rational sense in the same way, Tristan, I'm talking about if that was originated from God, it doesn't make sense. So we literally have light and dark and a clash happening with the ministry of Jesus and Jesus triumphs. He is victorious, right? So when it comes to his ultimate healing ministry is what, what he did on the cross, what he bore upon himself was the healing of the issue of sin. Without his blood actually pouring out through his body, we would not have the blood that was applied on the altar seat in heaven that brings us the opportunity to that when we receive him, our, 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 our slate is clean. We get that, that, that whole freedom and healing process of our spirit, right? It's a healing process of our spirit being. The question is physical healing, right? So those of you that are watching is that we believe that when if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we confess that, that he receives that prayer, he comes into our heart, into our life, and he says, I'm giving you a brand new heart and a brand new spirit. I'm with you. That's called salvation. It's the greatest healing miracle that could ever happen, right? But in that same process of what's called the atonement, something else miraculous and supernatural happened. And so in Isaiah 53, verse 4, talking about the one that would become the Messiah, it says that surely he has borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So in different passages of the way that those words are been translated. So again, this, I'm not going to get into all the scholarship of, of, of how this verse is interpreted. But griefs and sorrows can actually be translated sicknesses and diseases. So let's actually insert sickness and disease into this passage. It says, surely he has... Born our sickness and carried our diseases, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. And so the reason why I bring this up is we're going to fast forward now to Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 through 17. And the reason why I'm, I'm sharing this is because if you're watching this and listening to this, you might be agreeing with everything that I'm saying, but there are a lot of really amazing sons and daughters of God believers that don't know this. They don't understand the healing nature of God, and they need biblical backing. They need evidence to show them that this is what, why and how Jesus did this, just because of tra different traditions teach um, against healing, that God can do this today. And it's so sad. And I, I'm just telling you, I'm 36, 19 years of my life, I did not believe that, that God would heal because I was taught that way. And so it was in that trip to Brazil when I saw people get healed, it opened my eyes to say, whoa, <laughs> like, um, excuse me, <laughs> we have a problem here because I'm seeing biblical miracles that I see in all the gospels. I see it in the book of Acts. And you're telling me that, that this doesn't happen today? Well, it does. I just saw a leg grow out or someone who's completely blind is now seeing the parents are freaking out, crying. And I'm like, what the heck? You know, so anyways, that might be in our discussion of some of those, those stories. But Matthew 8, 16 and 17 says this. Again, 
before you get in this, Matthew's audience of his gospel message is to the Jewish nation. So he is trying to bring out so many of these prophecies uh, in Old Testament to actually as a proof text. I'm trying to prove to you that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one that we have been looking for. Look at some of these promises and how he's fulfilling these. So it says that evening they brought to him who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So you remember back in Isaiah 53, verse four, sorrows and griefs. Actually, it's in the, in the Greek. They go back to this verse and translate it as illnesses and diseases. So all this is to say is that when Jesus died on the cross, <clears throat> okay, one thing was happening. Blood was poured out. He was a sacrificial lamb so that it was the necessary sacrifice for us to be redeemed in restoration towards God. But then also it says in 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds, you have been healed. Okay. So if you look at Isaiah 53, three verses five and go more deeper into the Isaiah passage, it talks about this, that by his stripes, his wounds, we are physically healed. So in that process of when he was dying on the cross, it was actually before he got on the cross. It was when he was lashed and beaten and whipped, he was going through physical agony and pain. And in that process as a perfect spotless lamb was saying in this process of what I'm experiencing right now is to actually obtain what is rightful inheritance so that my family could receive physical, emotional, spiritual healing from the enemy. Super powerful, all in the same transaction. So for many people, we all agree, confession of faith, right? We're completely restored in, to, to God, but in the same process, by his wounds, we are healed. So a part of now the question is, is now applying the victory of the cross into our world today, right? So, um, Let's see. Jesus said in his in his word um, uh, in, in John chapter 10 that the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus came to give life and life abundantly. And that word abundantly is like a super abundance. Okay? So when we think about sickness and disease in particular, OK, the root issue is evil. Right. It's not God's design desire for that. But we live in a fallen world. So we have to understand that when Jesus and things as good believers and as good people, bad things happen to us, doesn't mean it's actually God's origination of what he wants for us. So there's a part of warfare that happens in the believer's life that we have to not only just stand on God's word, but we're decreeing and dec declaring that process. Okay. So, and this is what's kind of interesting is I shared that when Jesus in Matthew chapter four went to go preach the gospel. Then he healed the sick. Well, another example is Luke chapter 10, verse 8 through 9, which reads, Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So it's kind of interesting in that he reverses it and says, hey, go in there, go do some miracles, and then preach the gospel. And so it's not that it's 
either or it's all the above there's and so there's these different scenarios where it's appropriate to have a conversation with someone telling them about jesus and say you know what let me just model this to you and let me pray for you then there's other times where you maybe have a gift of faith or a word of knowledge and we'll talk about that in the q a and you'll pray for someone and they get healed and like they're like what the heck hey let me tell you the good news of the gospel right and you then you're presenting the gospel message so it's not that it's either or it is when you pray for someone they get healed you're preaching the gospel that's the gospel the kingdom of heaven is at hand so instead of saying the gospel of salvation which is a lot of what ministries do is they talk about the necessity of salvation it's true but jesus taught the gospel of the kingdom which is different where it is about salvation and all the above right not just confession of faith you need to get saved altar call and, and it is the most primary, most amazing miracle of all time, right? But to help lead people to an openness to God, it does help when there's supernatural phenomena happening, right? And uh, Tristan, I mean, uh, I know you're, are you, are you, I don't know, are you a millennial or Gen Z? I'm Gen Z. You're yeah. Gen Z. Okay. I'm on like the top millennials, millennial, millennial high. Like, I was you, all of our friends like are, are, all about supernatural, right? I mean, you look at Marvel, you look at Harry Potter, you look like at all the different type of magic, sorcery, stuff like that. We are a culture that is desirous for that. And I don't think that's wrong. It's because there is power that is out there. There is power on the demonic side, but there's power from heaven. And so the enemy is at no problem equipping people. When I was um, in seminary, uh, we did this uh, research that um, 200,000 Wiccan witches were being equipped every single year online, 200,000 a year in the United States. It's the third largest religion. <laughs> what? Because it's a counterfeit, right? And it's, but people are desirous and longing for that. So we as Christians have got to get used to some hard conversations and be open for miraculous conversation because we need to have those Mount Carmel experiences where they're showing their stuff. And this is happens in the old Testament. You look at Moses, Egypt had sorcerers. They were able to throw down their staff and it turned into a snake. I'd freak out by the way, just, you know, Tristan, if that ever someone did that to me, I'd freak out. I don't know if I'd have the faith to throw down a staff, <laughs> but Moses staff ate the other, the other ones, right? It just shows the power of God is bigger than the demonic power. Right. But there's angels, there's demons. It's very evident in scripture. And my whole heart in this whole topic is not to get too far off in the supernatural phenomena or into the magic and sorcery of, of, the, of, of cults and of, of, of witchcraft, but it's real. And it's right smack dab in the central centrality of Jesus because he's there to say, this isn't Beelzebub. This isn't the Lord of, 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 of the demons. I am the Lord of heaven and earth. And I'm coming with power and authority to restore mankind. The enemy has come to taint, to disrupt, and to bring brokenness into families' lives. I'm coming to restore. And we need healthy, godly power. And we need agents, us, sons and daughters, who will do the Father's work. Because if the Father was pleased with the Son and said, I'm pleased with you, and Jesus modeled it, we got to be like Jesus. So if we wear that WWJD bracelet, bro, and we're going to open up doors for other people and be kind and smile and, you know, um, and serve others. We need to heal the sick. We need to cast out demons right here. Matthew 10, seven and eight, he commissioned his disciples and said, and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the exact same phrase in, in Matthew four, 
right? So the same thing that he did, he's now saying, your turn. It's your turn to do this. And here is what's kind of crazy, Tristan. He's about to give them a command. Now, if you got a command from Jesus, do you think that he wants you to do it? Okay. Now, Tristan, you're on the younger side. You don't have kids yet. But if your parents ever asked you to take out the trash or to put your clothes away, did they mean it the first time? Yes. <laughs> yes. Did, did you ever maybe not do that the first time? And then <laughs> mom and dad came in <laughs> maybe a second and a third time. By the third or fourth time, they're a little bit redder. Their voice is up a little bit because they're like, Tristan, go take out the freaking trash. You know, <laughs> I told you that three hours ago, right? Um, I had a moment where I have my daughter, her, her job and responsibilities is to take is to do the do um do the dishes, and she didn't do that this morning because she got tied up doing something this morning, and so she's playing with her friends on the game. I'm like, hey baby, remember you got this. She's like, I know I'll do that later. I'm like, no, unfortunately, you gotta do it now. I know I, I it's a bummer. So in that being said, he says heal the sick. Doesn't say pray for the sick, doesn't say when you feel like it. It says heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without pain, give without pay. So this is the hardest part of this conversation. And for those of you that are maybe listening to this and maybe you've never seen someone get healed, we're actually commissioned by Jesus Christ to go do what he did. And it's not an option. It's a command. And if we don't obey the Lord, what do we call that? disobedience. Ouch. <laughs> so Tristan, we can never figure this out <laughs> because we maybe have some people who are watching. They're like, dang it, <laughs> Timothy trapped me. It, actually, it's helpful to know more about what we're called to do because Jesus really loves you and he loves people and he'll back you up because he backs up his word. It's not about us, our beliefs, our faith. It's that he'll back you up. If you believe it and you decree it, you declare, I just can't guarantee it's going to happen the very first time you ever try to pray for someone or that's going to happen every single time. But if you believe that God wants to heal and he will do it, you just got to practice it. Okay. So I always tell people it is not our job to heal the sick, even though he just told us to do it. It's actually not our job. Our job is to love people. That's our job. It's his job to heal. And so when we use our authority. That's where a lot of this comes through. So I won't get into a lot of this, uh, Tristan, because I just really wanted to present from a biblical understanding, the nature of Jesus and, and him as a healer. But um, authority is a big part of how to apply um, the healing power of God is that he specifically would make declarations. You are healed, stand up. He made these declarations. And so in that process, what gives us the right to actually model that? And so one of those was in Matthew chapter 10, verses, verse 1. He says, and he called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So again, remember when we looked at Matthew 4, and he went about healing every affliction and every disease? It's the exact same phrase. He's expecting us to go out and do the exact same thing um, that he did. Um, and so. Um, John chapter 12, 49 through 50 says, for I have not spoken on my own authority. This is Jesus speaking, but the father who sent me as himself, yes, me, but the father who has sent me, who sent me as himself, given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore I say, as the father has told me. So we have to understand that what Jesus is telling his disciples is a direct command from God, the father. Okay. So we have trust in this delegation of God gave authority to Jesus to do these things. Now, Jesus says, I'm now going to multiply. And it kind of makes sense, right? 
he's one person out of at that point, whatever, a couple million people across the world. Now we're at seven billion people, right? Thousands of years later. There's no way that one person can do everything, which is impossible. So and he's not up there on his throne being like, let me do everything. That's a lot of micromanaging of humans. <laughs> so like he's like, let's multiply the kingdom, let's multiply the family, and let's equip sons and daughters to go represent Jesus and that delegated authority that's there. Okay. Um, so gosh, there was one more thing that I wanted to mention too, and then we can kind of get into some Q and A. Um, but when it comes to um Ultimately, well, you know, let me do one more thing on authority. At the end of his ministry, okay, just kind of wrapping up this process about Jesus as the model, we know his ministry was leading him to the cross, right? But then the coolest part is he didn't stay on the cross, right? He was buried, he rose from the dead, applied his blood on the altar seat, gives us access. And that's why we see this beautiful picture of when the earthquake happened and the, the tomb, the, the stone was rolled away, literally the veil that was in the temple, which was representing humanity's sin, the closest you could get to God's presence in his throne was just a few feet away. And it was called the, in the, the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of God was. But in the inner court is where the, we would apply our, our sins and, and, and devotion towards the Lord. I mean, I always think about what would have been like, Tristan, to be in the inner court when that moment when that veil ripped from top to bottom? kind of like seeing God naked in a shower, <laughs> you know, it's like, ah, like you think you're going to die, right? Cause it's not supposed to happen. You're not, it's not legal. You, and people would die if you see the face of God. And so it says that the veil was ripped from top to bottom. And it's the same Greek word that's used when the heavens were ripped open. So when the heavens ripped open over Jesus and he had access to the father and the Holy spirit is the same transaction of Jesus ripping that veil of the sin barrier so that now we have access to go into the Holy of Holies in heaven and be with our Lord and Savior because, and God the Father, because sin has been dealt with. Greatest healing process ever because in his presence, we're healed. So out of all the things that I'm talking about, about the nature of Jesus and the authority that he gave his disciples, true authority for me comes from the presence of God. Those who are in his presence and stay in his presence and linger in his presence and soak in his presence, you can identify when you walk up to those type of people, you're like, there's something, they're vibrating in a different way and the way they present people. So when we see some different examples in Acts of the disciples healing others, like Peter's shadow, there's no healing properties in a shadow. <laughs> it was that I believe that Peter was so much in the presence of God he had an atmosphere around him that people would just get near him and they would get healed because of the kingdom of heaven. That veil had been ripped and that presence came around him. Paul, they took garments that Paul had on his body and aprons and would send them out hundreds of miles away, place that garment on someone and some a demon would be, would leave or someone would get healed. It doesn't mean that there's healing property in Paul's clothing is because that guy, those guys were only were apostles. They were praying and worshiping. They were in the presence of God for decades. And when you have that type of what we call the anointing, because it's the same anointing that Jesus had, the spirit of God, it's the Holy Spirit is the one that's actually doing the work. So in this process of understanding Jesus, his delegated authority, when Pentecost came and the disciples who were already believers had a similar experience 
as Jesus did at the Jordan River. It is the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit alongside of the authority of Jesus that gives us the ability to walk this process out in our lifetime. So part of this process is renewing our minds to understand we really do have a lot more authority than we really understand. And two, we just need more of God's presence in our lives. It doesn't mean that his act wasn't enough. It's just saying that there's more opportunity to get more of his presence in our lives and experience the Holy Spirit because he wants to empower us. And that's a whole different conversation and a whole totally different podcast <laughs> on the baptism or infilling of the Holy Spirit. But I truly believe that I did not see these things in my life for 20 years of age. One, I didn't know and I wasn't educated. So when Randy Clark did his trainings, literally, Tristan, what I'm teaching right now is stuff that Randy Clark taught from his healing schools that we did in these conferences. But I had experiences with God where I was overwhelmed and undone in God's presence to a point where I could, I was, it was a, a, an emotional experience, weeping and crying, shaking, things that my rational brain is freaking out about because I can't control this. And I'm like, Holy Spirit, self-control is one of your fruits. <laughs> like, I can't control this. Help me. And it's just a matter of just being undone in his presence where he's just like, I want to minister to you and love you in this place. But evidential fruit, Tristan, afterwards. When I started to pray for people, people started getting healed. And I saw tangible evidence that came from the experience of the Holy Spirit, not just an experience for the sake of the experience or what Pentecostal charismatics would term as like a slain the spirit type of experience or whatever, or phenomena of spiritual gifts like prophecy or tongues. I'm down for all that type of stuff. But for me, if you don't have more love in your life after an encounter with God and see more evidential fruit, then what's the purpose of the encounter? Yes, it can be for you, but I always tell people the Holy Spirit comes inside of you for you to regenerate you, to restore you, to produce his fruit, characteristics of his love and his nature, peace, joy, all the Galatians fruits, but also then to help empower you and equip you with spiritual gifts and spiritual gifts are not for you. They are for others. So the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he's in you for you, but comes upon you for others. And that's what we see with Jesus. Jesus didn't need the Holy Spirit. He was divine. He's God. But he had the Holy Spirit come upon him specifically to model ministry in the nature of Jesus. Okay. So Jesus is the healer. Um, I, I, that's, I remembered it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Okay. Here's my last thing. And I told you I was going to land the plane. I'm going to do it now. Is in um, Exodus. Um, where did that go? Um, we have this. Um, this phrase, and this is when Moses was with um, the Israelites, and it actually reveals, right, here it is, Exodus 15, 26, and it's a prelude, right? A lot of what's in the Old Testament is a type and shadow of what was to come with Jesus the Messiah and the kingdom of God that was coming. Um, and uh, it, Moses writes, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord, it's Exodus 15, 26, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. And that means Jehovah Rapha, means the Lord who heals you present tense. So part of the nature of God, one of his names is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals you. And isn't it interesting that I just said, God doesn't give us sickness and disease, but it just says right there that he put diseases on the Egyptians. <laughs> so it's a very interesting topic. And that's, that's there is that we do have some of these moments where because of sin and what people were doing that either a, the Lord, the Lord allowed, or he did bring affliction and pain into people's lives, but that is in a different covenant, right? When Jesus came with a new covenant, 
in his blood, it changes the game and the relationship that we have with them. And that can be a part of our conversation about, you know, why doesn't everybody get healed and what does that look like? And just to be honest, there's a lot that's here in scripture. We do our best to try to explain it. Um, but there's some mystery that's involved there too. But I really hope and pray that just showing some of these different, you know, texts that are here to, to reveal the nature of God will help others know that God wants you to be healed. He is a healing God, a restoring God, and we have access to his presence, to his authority, to then go and demonstrate. And when healing occurs, it's and the sign that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's it's a sign that Jesus is real. It brings glory to him. It's not us trying to build our own ministry or bring name to our and fame to ourselves. We see that with Peter when they begin to try and worship him and Paul's like, no, 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 no. All these signs and wonders is a point to the big guy upstairs. We are so small in comparison to the eyes of the Lord. He's the one that we should be worshiping. And then we just always have to make sure that we check our hearts in that process because it can be super easy when we see a miraculous phenomena in the fame culture that we do have uh, in our, in our, not only the desire for um, power, but the, the desire for um, popularity. It's a trap of the enemy. And it's so humility is huge, I believe, in, in the healing ministry of Jesus. That's so good. And uh, something Dan Fairley was preaching about a couple of weeks ago was staying away from a transactional relationship with God. And um, that's a big thing to me that over the past couple of weeks, just realizing that, um, yes, God, you provide for me, but I don't do this because you provide you know, I do this because you love me and I love you, you know, and like Bill says, like, though you slay me, I still serve you, you know, like even in those situations. Um, so the Q&A we have, man, I really feel like God's all over it. Um, so I want to go ahead and ask you um, something Randy Clark talks about. People I know talk about all the time is the power in our testimony. And I would love to hear your testimony before we even go into any q and Oh, gosh. Um, well, this is going to take some time because I have a, a very unique and powerful testimony. You know, for me, um, you know, uh, I was raised in the church and more of a Southern Baptist fundamentalist background. So, you know, we were taught to, to read the word. So I was reading the Bible through in a year when I was eight years old. So I actually am so grateful and thankful for my upbringing because it taught me the word. I knew the word. I just didn't understand it fully. And um, when I would, you know, search scripture in high school and I would go to my elders about why are we seeing Jesus? I asked questions like, why was Jesus doing all this stuff? And they just simply said, we're in a different dispensation. It's called dispensationalism. We no longer are in an age that we need to have, um, biblical evidence of healings and miracles because the last apostles, that's why they needed it. They were pioneering. And we also have the canonization of scriptures. So that's what I was taught. Okay. So when I, um, um, was in college, um, I began to just kind of get dabble into some spiritual disciplines. I, rich, I read a book called um, by Richard J. Foster. It's a classic. It's called Celebration of Discipline. I began to do meditation and prayer and fasting. And I just got really, I just say hungry for God. I wasn't satisfied. I was a part of a ministry that was dedicated to working with youth and young adults. And I had a whopping zero kids were getting saved. And I was like, why are we not seeing kids getting saved? And so I began to contend in prayer. So I began to pray. And one day I was driving my car, 19 years of age. And all of a sudden, um, I just felt this presence come over me. Now, again, all I had grid for in the Baptist church and my, again, my a very conservative tradition was when sh we sang the song called shout to the Lord. I don't know if you know it, Tristan, but it's a classic and, 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 um, and conservative churches. 
you could like do a, a one hand raise. <laughs> so, so way different experience than you and Bethel. Okay. Like uh, that's the one song you could put, you could put your hand up and, 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 and it's, I would feel the tingling sensation where I knew it was God's presence. So I had an understanding of like, you know, God, I could feel the Holy spirit uh, in some of those songs, but this was magnified by like a thousand times. So I'm literally being like electrocuted while driving my car down the interstate. And I'm freaking out because first of all, I'm trying to control the car. Secondly, I have got no idea what's going on. And I understand I'm having some type of phenomena and I'm weeping and I'm crying and I'm shaking and I'm like, God, what is this? And it's like, all I could think about in my head was healing. It was like healing, 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 healing. I'm like, why healing? I don't understand. But what had happened was, is that that semester, my, one of my roommates in college, um, his mom had been diagnosed with cancer, a very aggressive form of cancer. And, um, like on the, on the East coast, it was the university of Charlottesville. They have a very prestigious cancer unit. They didn't give her any hope six months to live, three to six months to live. So I believed in prayer and intercession. Uh, and so, um, I got gathered, uh, several of us guys and we did a guy's breakfast on Friday mornings, uh, to pray and intercede for, um, Matt's mom. And, uh, after a few weeks of us doing this in prayer, um, she went back and got test results and she was completely free of cancer. She was healed. Now I didn't have a grid for healing though, <laughs> but I was like, yes, come on. Right. You know, so I had an openness to it, but I didn't know how. So, um, literally the next morning in my devotions was Acts chapter one. And I'd read Acts before, but for the first time I, I saw Acts one eight, where it says, wait in Jerusalem till you receive power from on high. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. what, what is this receive power from on high? What does that mean? You know, I just didn't, I, so it's like, literally, I feel like my experience in the car, I had just like Saul had scales come off of his eyes. I had, I had religious bondage of a not understanding of, of true scripture authority. And like, it changed my life in relation to my reading of scripture. Every time I had read scripture, I almost felt shame and condemnation when I would read it because I knew my sin, I knew my issues and I can never measure up to Jesus. So when I had that experience in the car, I fell in love with God's word. I was just devouring it. Also, there was things that I was bound in uh, as a young man that I couldn't get free from that made me so incredibly ashamed. I was, I was bound to pornography. I was constantly playing video games like six, eight hours a day. <laughs> like People are like, that's not bad. Well, sometimes you can't have it over, over indulgence in video games. And also I love sports, but it was like over the top. And so in, after that experience, had no desire for pornography, had no desire to play video games, didn't even care about sports. And like all my sports teams won the Super Bowl, World Series, everything that year. Like, and I didn't watch any of it because I just got, I was so in love and captured by Jesus. And um, I didn't even know what it was. Then it was about a month later, then I began to speak in tongues and that freaked me out. So when I began to interview Pentecostal and charismatic uh, believers, you know, they kind of told me, Hey, that counter in the car wasn't anything. It was tons. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure that was very evidential fruit because of what happened after my life. So really when I met Randy Clark a few months later, him coming from a Baptist background and so incredibly focused on scripture really finally gave me like, ah, okay, I can believe in spiritual gifts and I can believe in experiential phenomena of the Holy Spirit. It's just, I needed to be biblically founded in, in some of those different things. So uh, anyway, so how I got into healing even more was going to this trip called Youth Power Invasion in 2006, actually where I met my wife, which is pretty amazing. Um, and Randy taught on the biblical basis for healing and this teaching called Word of Knowledge for Healing. And um, 
while we were in worship the night before, um, all of a sudden I began to get this pain in my side on my left side. And I thought, oh no, I, I hope I'm not getting sick on the first day of the trip. I don't want to be having throw, I don't want to have diarrhea or throwing up. Like I was all nervous because I had started to get this pain. But when he explained what a word of knowledge was, was the next day, I was like, well, you know, I had, had that weird pain last night. I wonder if that could be a word of knowledge. So I came up to the front and I just ex- described the pain that I was feel that I had felt. And a few people came up to me and I just used the five-step prayer model that they taught me on that trip. I know we're getting into some things, Tristan, that I haven't explained for those that may not be understanding this. I just did what the model shared of asked what the pain was, laid hands on them, decreed and declared healing. All four people got healed. All the pain left. And the first person had Crohn's disease. And literally the whole entire trip, she ate everything that she wanted to and had no physical pain in her stomach. First time in her life that she was able to eat anything without having acid reflex or pain or abdomen. And it literally, it was like a light switch went off in me where I was like, I can't believe that God has answered prayer in like 30 seconds. Because Tristan, back in the day, I would hope that God one day in my life would answer my prayer request. It was not something that I expected immediacy of answer. So in this whole process of my learning about the healing nature of God, it, it drew me into more deeper relationship with him because it showed me that he hears me. Like when I asked an an intercession and prayer for somebody else and they got instantaneously healed, that was rapid 30 second prayer, not days, weeks, months, years for him to come and and answer me. I realized that the God of the universe is with me. He's for me. He hears me instantaneously. Uh, He's not up there trying to hold me back from what I want and dream for and desire. He's proactively with me every second of the day that changed my relationship with him. It changed everything for me. So I saw some some more amazing miracles that I could share more about on that trip, but then I came back completely jacked up in the sense of, I got to go figure out what I just experienced in Brazil. So I left my engineering degree and I went to go to his ministry school. I did go back to college, got my undergrad in religious studies. So I switched majors and then I did get my master's of divinity because I wanted to really go deeper into the analysis of scripture because I was getting so much practical ministry experience. I wanted best of both worlds. And I truly believe um, like Paul, the apostle, he knew the word in and out as a Pharisee, but man, that guy had a lot of encounters. <laughs> you know, he knew the Lord, he had crazy miracle signs and wonders and, and, and theophanies. I want all of it. I want all of God. I want what's all is available. <clears throat> so my heart desire in the last 15 years of ministry, I actually enjoy it when I can teach someone else how to do this stuff. And when they see their first miracle or their first healing, it is the greatest joy. Cause I just know what Randy Clark gave to me was he helped me get connected to the Lord. It wasn't about Randy or global awakening. It really was about connecting people to the father and getting to know Jesus and getting to know the person of the Holy spirit. That's all we can ask for in this process of helping connect people to the healing nature of God. It's interesting. You, you brought up the, um, after that experience, things started to break off of you and then you felt like you dive into the word. I had the exact same experience. Like basically I had bonded. I was, um, before the Randy Clark conference in February, uh, I was having bondage to video games just like you. And then also like, uh, different other things in my mind that I was like battling with, uh, like hating on myself, stuff like that, you know? And, um, I also could not read. I like couldn't read a book. I, when I was reading the Bible, I wasn't like taking it all in. I believed in Jesus and, um, I was so excited to be in ministry school, but I was like, oh, I'm struggling really bad with this. Um, and I prayed for God to give me, um, an experience and things like that. And it felt like something fell on me. And, uh, 
but just like you said, kind of took over. And then um, uh, it, pretty soon, the next couple weeks, my uncle Matt comes, and then I'm I'm getting I'm, I'm reading books in the Bible. Like I read every day now. Like I just like am in it, you know, uh, studying the different words, things like that. Like um, it's so amazing, like how that that like you said that that encounter the the um, changes a lot of your situation, you know, like. Um, and I think that's where if we just be so open to Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do today and ministering in my heart and spirit, it's awesome. It's when we say it has to look a certain way yeah. and feel a certain way with evidence of certain things like tongues or prophecy. I truly believe a baptism of the Holy Spirit is not just about some of those demonstrative things. For me, what my experience was, was deliverance. It was a more of a holiness experience, which we can get in this, but that's actually Methodism at its core. John Wesley taught a three-part process of salvation, holiness, and then uh, um, empowering presence or baptism of the spirit for active ministry. And so I believe like, it's kind of like, I call myself a Bapticostal or third wave evangelical, just if we have these different terminologies, I'm in the the scholarship world, Mm -hmm. is my first experience wasn't tons. It was deliverance of, of, of bondage. And I'm grateful for that <laughs> because that. now I do believe in the gift of tongues. I practice that. We can teach on that at a different time because it's a totally different topic and conversation. Um, but the thing is this, just ask for more of the Holy Spirit, ask for more of him in your life and his presence, his intimacy. And if he comes upon you in power, cool, awesome. Then go do something with it, you know? And if you never speak in tongues, cool, like just go do it. Like, you know, it's okay. <laughs> just, just go love on people. The, the, the tongues didn't come like, until later with me like um and it was it wasn't it was random and actually i was just sharing um i called my uncle ken you know i called him and i was like for some reason i've been praying in tongues all week and i know it, i was kind of freaking out because it was like random moments you know i'll be driving to work and then um i got uh, i got a call later in the week uh, an email my dad calls me and says did you get the email from your school and I was like, no, what, what email? He said, well, someone paid your entire uh, rest of your first year for you. Come on. Off, anonymous. So I like, I was like, oh my goodness, my spirit's contending for me. Tristan, you, you remind me so much of when I was 20 years old and I was in ministry school for the very first time. Just these type of things would happen to me all the time. And just, it's just God's love for you, dude. Just showing you like he's got so much on your life and for you. But these little, little I call them kisses from heaven. It's just continuing to remind you he is with you. He is for you and every step of the way, you know, which is really cool. Well, it's so much fun that you have a similar experience as me in that way. And I think it's important to share our experience or our testimony, right? Because there's going to be other people out there that are like our testimony. But then also I know many people who had a radical experience of the Holy Spirit where tongues came in, in the same moment of that process or prophecy or gifts began to flow in their life. That's totally fine. It's just when you say that it has to look like yours, that's when we get in trouble because that puts God in a box and pretty much he can do whatever the heck he wants to, you know? Um, you know, anyway, so we can get into, into more of that detail. So what other questions you got that we can kind of debrief a little bit about healing? Um, so, so a question you got into, but like, how would you describe like, what is spiritual, the spiritual gift of healing? Okay. Great question. So if we look at Again, there's there's a there's a couple different lists in scripture about different spiritual gifts. So it's not just the nine um, that's listed in First Corinthians chapter twelve. Okay, but in First Corinthians chapter twelve, we see 
specifically gifts of healings. It's plural. So that's the one thing that we need to recognize is it's not just a gift of healing, but there is going to be in people's lives where I believe every believer is equipped, empowered, and has authority to see healing occur. Okay. So it's not just for big name speakers, pastors, and stuff like that. But there can be different things that you have a, a like a, a, a pretty amazing track record where you see a specific disease healed more frequently. So for example, um, someone that I madly respect, um, her name's Heidi Baker. And so we've spent time out there in Mozambique with her. And I was listening to some podcasts, you know, early on in my studying. Because what I did is I, I studied the scriptures, I studied revival history, and I listened to a whole bunch of podcasts of people who are movers and shakers because I had I to figure this out. How do I do this thing? So you you follow experts, right? And so I heard about a podcast that recently, this is about 20 years ago, they began to see something. Every time they were going to northern provinces of Mozambique that were specifically Muslim territories, that every time they prayed for a deaf person, it was 100% accuracy. And it wasn't something that they were trying to go after. It just started happening. And so when I heard that, all I can say is like, I had a belief in that moment. Well, if God would do that for Heidi, God will do that for me. And I started specifically looking for individuals who were deaf. And I started seeing it at a much higher level after that moment. I had prayed for a couple of deaf people who had been healed before that at that point, particularly overseas. But then I really started doing it here in the States. And I started seeing again, percentages. And I'm a math guy, Tristan. So people don't all like that, but I'm like efficiency and proficiency, right? Like if I can learn how to get two out of three people healed versus one out of every three, right? <laughs> Why not? You know? So, um, and, and so I just started seeing it. And by, after three years of being in healing ministry, I've seen over 40 people who are deaf get healed. Um, and, and for me, it wasn't like a, I think it was called a gift of faith came in me in that moment by hearing that testimony and I grabbed a hold of it. And then I did something with it. Does that make sense? Um, versus blind eyes. I prayed for a lot of blind eyes. Haven't seen as much as that, that I have for, as, as for, for that. So, so for me, if I'm going into some meetings and I know there's like a section of death that they want to be healed going after it. Cause I have a confidence that's there. So that's what faith for me is, is that I have a confidence that God wants to do this. I've seen him do it. And so there's boldness and courage that's there versus someone who's maybe prayed in their 0 for 10, right there. They want it, but that, that confidence isn't there. So you see this, I think with Bill Johnson and Randy Clark, there's a very specific moment. Um, this is probably 10, 12 years ago, James Maloney, who's no longer with us, was seeing a lot of metal disappear from people's body or the metal was still there, but it was bendable now. And he prayed for Bill and Randy at a conference and Bill began to go after metal in public meetings and it started to happen. Well, guess what? Randy did it two or three times. Nothing happened. Okay. And so, and I was with him in this, in this season, traveling with him and Randy's like, come on, man, you know, in his, you know, Illinois Southern accent, like you did it for Bill, you do it for me. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, Randy, this is some bold stuff, man. I, and I, and I loved it because this guy is a general of healing ministry and he wasn't satisfied and wanted more. It was such the coolest part to, to watch him and see him aggressively pursue something. And then in one meeting, 
he went for it again and it just broke loose and just some amazing, you know, vertebra and the spine, like literally they could touch their toes when there's like a steel plate that's there. They haven't been able to do that in years. The pain is gone, um, stuff like that. And, and, you know, on his website, Global Awakening, it's just crazy. And so I believe James Maloney had a gift for seeing this type of breakthrough for healing. Bill and Randy caught a hold of that because they understand the power of impartation, which is again, another totally different concept. So gifts of healings, I believe can be something that God just naturally gives a person, but also can occur when there's someone who operates in those giftings, lay hands on you and blesses you and prays for you that you would have a similar anointing or grace to operate. Because the whole point is duplication. The point is, is to see more people get healed. It's not holding on to these giftings and say, look at me, I'm the greatest in the world. It's no, go multiply, go give this away. Okay. So I hope that helped me explain that a little bit. Yeah, that was perfect. And that, that really just leads us into the next question that we were, we were kind of talking about is why doesn't God heal everyone? And I was talking to Timothy about, um, I prayed for a girl who had polycystic ovary uh, syndrome and uh, she called me later telling me that um, her doctor said it was gone. And wow. I, was, I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, because that was the first healing yeah. I've ever seen happen. Like it's amazing. Uh, me praying and I was like, whoa. So just recently, I went to this amazing Pentecostal church called uh, Redemption to the Nations. I went for a worship event with my worship director, Nehemiah. Um, we just went there. I, I didn't know what I was going to expect because I've honestly never, I don't think I've ever been to a Pentecostal church other than like Bethel. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if Bethel is Pentecostal, but I know they're charismatic. But um, it was kind of like a different experience, you know, and I was like, all right you know what, I'm going to pray for healing over Nehemiah's foot. His foot's broken. And um, so I go to pray and a couple of us are laying hands on his foot and I didn't see the healing happen. I was like, hmm, I, I felt like I had the same faith as when I prayed. Um, but something interesting that night that happened was I went down immediately. It was right after worship, after we prayed, um, after the sermon, they did an altar call. I went up there and immediately got slayed in the spirit. Immediately hit the ground. Sure, I didn't sure. know what was happening. Um so I'm just eager to know um, that question, like, why doesn't God heal everyone? Yeah. And this is where I can say, this is why I'm glad I'm not the judge of the universe and that he is. <laughs> so, cause it is so incredibly hard. So I'm going to share out of, um, for me, scripture and personal experience and my own personal wrestling. So this is not to project this, that you have to believe what I believe or, or that, um, I believe we will fully be present with the Lord one day and be fully healed. Okay. So in sanctification and healing process, there's phases. Okay. So like, I believe instantaneously when you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, you're saved right in that moment. But it also says we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So even though we're saved, we're still in process of salvation, not that we have to earn it, right? We're not earning salvation. It's the working out of the benefit of that. Then it says we will be fully saved when we're fully present with the Lord. So it's happened, it's happening, and it will happen. So past, present, future tense of that. Same thing. We're holy in this moment. We are being sanctified and we'll be fully sanctified when we're fully present with the Lord, which means we're a lot better in our sin nature, right? Than when, when we got saved, we're still working that out a little bit. And, but we're fully going to be uh, arriving at that place, right? Same thing with healing by his stripes. We have been healed. That's the promise in this moment. We are healed. 
but I still got some pain. So we got to work that out. That's the active ministry that we're in right now. The bubble of that, where we would, we would call it from a, a biblical context and theological, the eschatological tension, the kingdom of heaven is at hand now, but it's not fully realized. So Jesus did the work it's happened, but we're still haven't fully realized it. If that makes sense. That's that process. Then one day we will fully be healed in his presence. Okay. So I don't believe there's restriction on how much we can be healed, sanctified, delivered in this lifetime. It's unlimited. It has to be pursued. That's why Jesus says the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent ones take it by force. That that's where we have to pursue that process. So I think a part of it is God, if we started getting 100% healing accuracy, um, we would be equivalent to Jesus. Just being honest, I, I, I don't know. There's things and people that I've, I have pursued in healing revivals, uh, a guy named William Branham, where he, there was a four day prayer line and literally like uh, everyone was getting healed. 100%. He would sleep for like 15 minutes and then get up and start praying for people. Ambulances would come uh, with the people. I mean, just ridiculous, like healing grace and anointing on an individual's life that obviously it was the Lord doing it. So, so I think that there's greater levels to pursue. I also think that sometimes we don't um, understand that a miracle happens instantaneously, but a healing can take time. How much time? It could be two minutes, two hours, two days, two weeks, two months. I don't know. So there's been times where I've prayed for people, fully felt the presence of God. They did too, but nothing happened. I go home and then I get an email a week later saying, hey, remember when I pr you prayed for me? I woke up four days later and all the pain is gone. Now, I, I asked the question, God, why didn't, you, why didn't you do it earlier? So sometimes there's warfare, right? And we've seen this in scripture in Daniel, like, he was praying and fasting, and it says the archangel Gabriel was was caught up in the heavens in this warfare, so that he can't couldn't come and give the, the message to Daniel because that process. So, in the process of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God with healing, there can be some restriction. I don't like to say blockages; it's not for me. It's just it's warfare over that process, right? The easiest thing is to get introspective. What did I do wrong? Why didn't my prayers, why weren't they effective? Or the person that's receiving prayer go, what's wrong with me? Why doesn't God love me? Is there, is there any hidden sin? It doesn't really have to do anything with you. I, it's for me like a boxing match, okay? I'm getting in the ring with the authority of Jesus Christ and I got cancer. And I'm gonna punch the crap out of cancer in the face over and over. After three or four minutes, I'm tired. And that thing hasn't, there's no KO. There's no knockout. So we get in the ring. We get over there, get some water. We sip on that. Get back in the ring. Pow, 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 pow. And that's my perspective is we go after healing breakthrough until that thing gets knocked out. But it can take some time. I remember reading a book, my Mahesh Shavda, um, years ago. And I can't remember it right now. I want to say it's like um, about healing or 40 days of prayer and fasting, one of those books. But he was doing a, um, a healing crusade in another country in Africa. I just don't remember the specific uh, details, but I remember him. There was like sections where they had blind and deaf, and there was a specific sec section where blind, and almost everyone had gotten healed of, of of blindness. It was just crazy. But this one guy kept coming up, and every single day he'd get prayer, like for days, and nothing happened. Okay, 
and Mahesh Shah as a minister was like heartbroken that this man was so open and wanting healing, right? So he went in the specific prayer before that, that crusade night and he started asking the Lord, like, why is this not happening? And what he got a vision was this octopus looking type of creature on this man's face that had eight tentacles and seven of them had been dislodged and there was only one left. So he went in that meeting with faith and belief that, hey, I think tonight's the, the night. And guess what? They prayed one more time. His eyes were open. He was completely healed. So sometimes I think we give up too soon when it comes to prayer for healing because we live in a microwave world. I want whatever, a hot dog. I want something in one minute. I want an instantaneous miracle in one minute. It doesn't always happen that way. It, it is a progression. So I always encourage people at the end of prayer with, with passages of scripture. You know, Paul left Trifemus sick in Miletus. You know that Paul prayed for his companion to be healed, but he had to leave him to keep going on the missionary journey. Uh, he even told Timothy, hey, and this is not, I'm not proposing that this is biblical evidence for drinking alcohol. It's just in that day, red wine used to be medicinal, used for medicinal purposes. He said, for your stomach ailments, drink some red wine. He was giving instruction to him on that process. So actually, Timothy had some stomach issues. So the thing is, is that this is Paul the Apostle who was seeing healings, miracles, signs, and wonders, yet even in their ministry, it didn't always happen. Okay. So that's the thing is like, uh, it, it happens sometimes. But to believe that God gave you something of sickness to prove a point to you, I don't think that that's really evidential. So there's two things that in scripture that we can really talk about in, in this moment that are used as as, as text to, to try and like rationalize why people don't get healed all the time. One is... Paul's thorn in his flesh, okay? And that's used like uh, to, for sickness and disease. Paul is describing something there that's describing persecution. If you look in 2 Corinthians, um, when he describes in chapter 11 before he goes into um, chapter 12, let me see if I've got it right here so I can give you the right um, verses because, um, you know what, give me one second. Because this is a good good conversation that I, I really, it's important. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, seven through 10 um, talks about um, because he was having so many crazy encounters with God. Okay. Out of body experiences, things like that, that there was something the Lord was out of the goodness of his heart. Okay. Not like wanting to come and not give anything wrong to Paul, but just like there's sometimes out of your, out of and this is hard with your kids too. Like, you want to protect them, but sometimes they have to learn the hard way, right? Through learning through trials and tribulations. Thorn in the flesh was persecution. He was getting beaten and, and whiplash, shipwrecked, all these different things. So he was really trying to say, it's not because of sickness and disease that God's giving me. It's because his he needed elements of weakness in his life so that he could depend on the grace, graciousness and goodness of God. Um, so that's one thing. Then um, the other thing is that understanding what is a thorn in the flesh? Well, it's actually used in the Old Testament, and there's a couple different places. Numbers 33, 55, Joshua 23, 13, and Judges 2, 3, where it actually talked about the giants were a thorn in the flesh to the Israelites. And so they were an annoyance in fulfilling the promise of God. So thorn in the flesh was not a sickness that Paul had. It was an annoyance that the enemy kept resisting him and advancing the gospel message by 
a storm came and he got shipwrecked, right? Or he got arrested and the calling on his life is like, I, I got, God, can you hook me up? You told me to get to Rome. You told me to get to Spain. And he's like, hey, I know that. It's part of this warfare process. I have most, my grace is most efficient in the midst of your weakness where you can't get to these places and it's the resistance of the enemy. Does that make sense? So that's what that thorn in the flesh really, really means. Okay. The other one is what about Job, right? Job had, his whole family died. He had sickness and disease and all this other stuff. All I can say is this. I'm not Job and I'm not in a context of covenant with Job. Job actually lived before Abraham. And so when we look at covenants that God made with humanity, it changes the relationship. God has a specific relationship with Abraham, blessing, support structure. In the Mosaic uh, covenant, there is actually promises of scripture, Jehovah Rapha. We see the covenant, Davidic covenant, where the blessing of, of, of the people of, of Israel, and then Jesus, a new covenant in his blood. So I just can't relate to Job in that process. But the thing is, is, is at the end of the day, God can do whatever the heck he wants to, and he's judge of the universe, and we have to be okay with it. <laughs> but to expect him to take, wipe out our family or to get boils on our bodies, I don't think we can actually expect that process. That, that story of Job is to really, at the end of the day, God is God. We are not. I'm going to worship and praise him even in the midst of my own pain and suffering. So I know it's a lot, but you know why someone you pray for that gets healed in one moment and the next one you, you pray for that doesn't, there's also a lot of things going on there too. Uh, there could be some aspects of that person is living in a lifestyle of sin and there's an open door of the enemy to come and still kill and destroy. And out of God's infinite love for that person, unless that person is repentive and closes that door, you can pray for healing and the pain goes, but guess what? That pain can just come right back because, and so it's kind of like a, a father saying, I want you to have like, you know, three Nintendo switches, but I just know what that will do to you down the road. So I love you enough not to give you what you really want in this moment, because I have a foresight of what that will do for you. And that's the hardest part is to trust the Lord when we don't get what we want in that context of what we see as healing. Okay. So that's where there is definitely mystery. Wow. Perfect. <laughs> that That's amazing. I think I, I right when you were talking about it, how you need to go go after it, like in the boxing ring. I just like pictured myself praying over him again. So I'm gonna do that today when I yeah, see. Yeah, go find him. Yeah, go find him again. I'm like, hey, round two, <laughs> let's go after this thing, right? <laughs> yeah, that's why in the, in the five step prayer model, you know, we give as step five post prayer suggestion is, at, if if you get healed, how do you continue to position yourself? For that healing, I'm gonna say to stick, but just like you know, you know, if you're doing dangerous stuff like skateboarding off of buildings and stuff, and you broke your leg, probably might not want to do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's self-inflicted pain, right? That's not the, the the enemy coming to do that. That's putting yourself in dangerous situations. So there's the, that wisdom, right? Um, but then also, if someone doesn't get healed, you're loved, you're valued by the Father. He is for you. He is with you. I don't understand why you're not healed in this moment. Come back next week and I'll pray for you. And I'm going to continue to pray for you this week. And you just keep going and believe the Lord, you know, for that process. That's beautiful. Um, so, all right. So you've seen a lot of healings and I was going to ask you to share some testimonies about them, but I, I really want to get into this question actually. But what have you learned about God from seeing healing take place? Yeah. Um, you know, 
I think I shared a little bit earlier that just my, my relationship with him completely changed when I saw those healings and he answered four people's desire, their hearts. And also that he also can speak in really weird ways by giving you pain. <laughs> Why would he let you feel someone else's pain? I have a, I have a theory. This is, I call it Timothy Berry theory. Um, I think it's angels poking us because it feels like a, a finger jabbing you in your, in your side. And I'm like, ow, like what the heck, you know? And it just is, it is a glimp moment of that. Also, I love the creativity of God. Like he doesn't honestly do the same thing twice. So when I've gotten words of knowledge and I feel like a tingling sensation, like just on my earlobe, like it's the weirdest sensation on the planet, but like, like it's kind of like he's a treasure hunt, right? He's kind of playing with us, but also wanting to minister to people too. He's looking for people who are attentive to just the smallest movement of his presence. And that's one of, the, one of my deepest, dark, not darkest, <laughs> deepest desires of my heart that I pray to the Lord. Lord, I want to be so aware and sensitive to the movements of the Holy Spirit that if you just move your hand one, one degree, I can recognize your movement. Like I want to be so spiritually aware of when you're in the room, when you're doing something, whether I'm in a restaurant or I'm in a meeting, I want to know where God, what are you doing in this room? Because I care about you. I care about the kingdom of God. And I know you love people and I'm here with an assignment from heaven. I'm a king. I'm an agent of the kingdom of God. So, but in that is I've seen God do some things that has zero to do with me. Zero. He just comes in and he does, does something. I'll never forget. Um, being in a meeting where there's these dancers in Brazil and it was like this, this fog or smoke began to fill the atmosphere. And I've heard stories of like this happening, but I was seeing it and I'm like, literally like taking my glasses off. Like, is this just me? I'm looking, I go over someone like, are you seeing this happen? Like, yes. And there's this holiness, right. That that's, that's there. And I'm watching this worship happen. And I get this impression that we just need to surround the people who need healing with the worshiping presence of God. And so I instructed the dancers to start to dance around the auditorium. And as they did, the people, we started giving words of knowledge for healing and every single person got healed who was standing a hundred percent. No one laid hands on them. No one prayed over them. It was simply the act of faith and the impression that the Lord told me that he was going to do something because he just wanted to take care of it. And so when we see God like sovereignly heal people, we just see his nature, his goodness, his character. Yes, we do teach laying on of hands and pray, decree, declare, go in the boxing ring. But when I see him do that sovereignly, it just it just shows me his goodness. His mercies are new every single day. And, and it doesn't just mean about healing. It's about for everything in our life. If we want to buy a house. He cares about that. If, if he, he cares about our job, he cares about our finances, he cares about... Um, our, our relationships with the significant other, our kids, our, our parents, you know, he's just a very caring God. And I think that that's just really um, a testament to who he is. Yeah, it, it's really something I've really started to recognize with him. I put it in my homework assignment. Um, I just had a homework assignment. It was about God and all this stuff. But it, I really am starting to see him more as a father. Like, in every single day, like, um, like it's kind of like, like ways that I'll, I'll, I'll see things in my dad, you know, but then I'll, I'll see something with God. That's like, Whoa, that's what like love is, you know, different things. Like, yeah. um, it's really beautiful. Like, and, and after seeing him heal that, like, after like her calling me and telling me that she, she got healed from that, 
I mean, I was like, whoa, God, you like genuinely cared about that because <laughs> that that's yeah. something that is hard, you know, um, it's really beautiful. Well, Timothy, I, I know your time is really valuable and I really appreciate you coming on. And this has been such an honor. Um, I'm going to put a link to your website uh, in, sure. down in the description. You guys can check them out. Um, and also, uh, you've been helping people with weight loss and things like that. And, uh, you guys can follow them on Facebook if you're needing anything like that. I would love for you to pray over everyone and, uh, just bless them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so father, I thank you so much for those that are listening and watching, um, this podcast. And, um, I just want to decree what you told us to decree and proclaim your kingdom is at hand. Mm. So Holy Spirit, I ask, would you come and descend upon every person who's watching? Father, would you rip the heavens open? And would you speak to every person who's listening and watching and just reveal your great love for them? You're, you are the Father. You love your kids. They're your son. They are your daughter. And Lord, I ask, just as we've talked about, if there is a... I know there is, there's a grace gift on my life for healing and for miracles that has been taught and passed down to me by uh, spiritual mentors and fathers and more importantly from heaven. So father, I ask for an impartation, Lord, whatever's on my life, would you release a greater level of confidence, boldness, and courage to pray for the sick? Lord, I pray that there would be an increase of individuals who are listening to this, that when they go pray for others, that they would see more people get healed more frequently, God. I ask for a gift of word of knowledge to be released as well, to have insight and perspective even before praying what that person is going through to help break down walls of resistance so that their eyes and hearts would be open to hearing the gospel message. And my Father, my prayer is, God, that we just not only just pursue healings and miracles because we know you want to do it, but that we would actually proclaim the good news. We would take time to teach and tell people about who you are, God, and invite them into a relationship with you and to follow up with people, not just for drive-by healings and miracles and have a good testimony, God, but you care about walking with people and true biblical discipleship, Father. Um, and so, Lord, I ask um, that you would continue to show us, even in those moments where yeah, maybe someone that we pray for doesn't get healed, that you'd give us just understanding of your love and your heart and your mind for, for others and help us to wrestle through some of those moments of our lives, that you're with us in that process of disappointment and discouragement, and then help us to pick up our feet again and go do it again because you love us and you want us to keep doing and pursuing kingdom realities. So Father, we bless this time. We bless you, Tristan. We bless this podcast. We bless your ministry. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Mm. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you guys so much for watching. Please be sure to hit that subscribe button and the notification bell so you can stay up to date with all Bethel Moments content.